and welcome to this episode of Tones and Drones, an ambient music podcast. I'm Jason Miller, your host. Tones and Drones is produced in the studios of 91.3 KVOU Public Radio. Well, I hope that you enjoy this upcoming conversation. Really enjoyed this. Um, On the program today is Deborah Martin returning to the program, but she'll be joined by Jill Haley, an oboist and English horn player, which um, they had their first collaboration recently on an album called The Silence of Grace. We began the podcast right now listening to the title track, and we'll be hearing some other selections throughout the conversation that uh, is very enlightening and endearing. I hope that you enjoy it. It was so wonderful to have Deborah back on the show again and also to uh, meet Jill and uh, have her insight into uh, the process of coming from a classical music background and then making her first foray into ambient music. So, up next on Tones and Drones, my conversation with Deborah Martin and Jill Haley. It's good to see you too. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing better 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 every day. Oh, like, there I see Jill. Jill, hello. Here, yes. Yay. <laughs> hello. Things to keep track of here. I know. Right. Oh, it's good to see you. You too. It, it's uh, I'm glad y'all got to 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 be on this. I'm glad we got to reschedule. And um, I mean the album's still recent. I was kind of looking around, you know, where to where to start and you know, I really wanted to just kind of start about like like y'all's friendship and y'all's relationship and kind of go into that of how it coalesced in in, in recording The Silence of Grace. Jill? All right. So my first recollection, and I'm, Deborah and I talked about this as um, we met at, at a Zone Music Reporter event in New Orleans. Um, their annual, whatever you'd want to call it. I guess it was a award ceremony weekend thing. And Deborah and I had dinner. I remember eating dinner with her distinctly, her and her husband, I believe, and um, and chatting. And so that was just a very uh, a kind of a professional meeting. And then we both went, we, we talked a bit and I went our separate ways. And then Deborah reached out to me later and said, would you be interested in working? And I said, absolutely. So our, our friendship actually developed kind of once the work started. We weren't really, we're obviously on, on opposite ends of the, of the country here, uh, different coasts. So we haven't spent a whole lot of time together except for the intense two weeks we spent together at her, at her home. 
uh, with her husband. So yeah, okay. kind of developed as the music came out. Well, did did you were you aware of each other's music? Oh, absolutely, I was. Okay. Yeah, and I think Deborah was too. Yeah, so okay. um, yeah, I certainly knew Spotted Peccary over all these years, and yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, but okay. I never thought my stuff would fit in with, I never approached them because it seemed like my stuff was too acoustic, too melodic. You know, I come from a much more, uh, what, what should we say, Deborah? more me melody and harmony based, not quite as ambient. as Very as classical but... training and background for sure in the professional aspects of it. Jill is okay. a very accomplished uh, pianist, oboe, English horn, phenomenal player. And, and I, I can't say enough about her professionalism, but I knew, I, I don't know if you call it intuition or what, but the first time I met her, I was drawn to her energy, very down to earth, very, you know, open. We talked about different things in music uh, while we were at the first ZMR awards that I had ever attended and Jill, I believe you actually performed. Oh, yeah, that. right. She yes. was playing the oboe in the English horn. And yeah. I was sitting out in the in the crowd, you know, for the performances. And um, I'm just listening, going, oh, phenomenal player. And then, then I went into my imaginary space and I went, hmm, I wonder what it would be like to create some ambient textures and, and record that and combine them. And I just, I couldn't stop once that. And so I introduced myself to Jill and I remember telling you how I loved it. And then we did have dinner. And then the following year, actually, we actually traded a couple emails. I sent yeah. some of my CDs yeah. to Jill that she did yeah. not have. And she sent me hers from her fabulous collections of being an artist in residence in the national parks. She goes and applies okay. and is an artist. And then she creates music that in, she's inspired by in these various things and creates the CDs. And they're available at the national parks, of course, and she'll do concerts there. She has some fabulous musicians that perform with her sometimes there. They'll come out. And then, so I thought, we're almost like twins on the opposite ends of the country. Nature, mystic, and energy. Those old, wise, sage energy. We both have choir directing in our history. Jill's mm -hmm. still working, doing those things professionally, teaching music. I was a choir director for many years. So we had uh, all these similar likes and passions of creating music. I'm a melodic composer as well, but in a little bit different sense. But Jill has a very down to earth sense and I, I love what she does. And so it just seemed like a natural progression, I think, for us to end up working together. We had some mm -hmm. phone calls. We met the following year at another ZMR, I remember. And then I said, oh, Jill, we have to get, to, we have to do something. And then we started talking on the phone. And then the next thing you know, she comes out and spends a couple of weeks. And and my my husband, Chris, this was so great because he was like our roadie. He just kind of <laughs> drove us around everywhere. And we'd be like, and he cooked. So Cook. Jill, yeah. Jill, Jill had her breakfast and things. We had plenty of stuff here, but for dinner, he he liked showing off his culinary skills. And so, Jason, yeah. when you come out here, you'll see that too. Oh, um, that's awesome! You'll, you'll be the 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 victim, not the victim. I'm sorry. You'll be the recipient, recipient. of his wonderful cooking. And um, 
so we did all that. But every day, what we would do is he would take us out for a day somewhere in nature. We went to some excellent places, Mount Adams area. We went to the grotto. We went to Mount Hood. And every other day when we would get back, Jill would just say to me, Deborah, I hope you'll excuse me, but I need to be by myself to gather my thoughts. Can I just go sit in the studio? And I'd be sure I would go do something else in the house. She would sequester herself in so that she could physically, emotionally, and mentally externalize everything she had absorbed that day from where we were on the locations. This is very important in the creative process, I think. And I, Jill, I hope you're agreeing with my assessment. I want you to say about it too, but <laughs> she would then just put everything down what she could feel. And then I did the same thing on a couple of pieces opposite. And then when we got done with all of that over those weeks, then all of a sudden, grabbed headsets and said, okay, Jill, we're going to record you. She brought her oboe and English horn. And then we fooled around with some percussion things because uh, Jill, correct me if I'm wrong here. You have not really worked with percussion per se, mostly the classical instruments with the oboe, English horn, piano. You've had some things with it, like the bells and things for maybe in the church things, but actual handmade percussion instruments from American Indian various cultures. So I remember thrusting something in your hand saying, here, play this. The deer, the deer uh, hooves. The deer claws, yes. Oh. Yeah, very old, very old instrument yeah. made from ancient, from deer claws. And they're black deer claws. They're not a typical, they were black. And that was presented to me by um, Edgar Perry, who is, he passed away last year, very old medicine man on the Apache Reservation. And he gifted me with that. And it's made out of a deer antler. And he said, if you're going to be doing this kind of music, if you're, you need things that are of the real world, very, I'll never forget his words. And he said, this will give energy okay. to your songs. And so I wanted Jill to play that. She played a couple of other things too. And I remember giving, thrusting it in your hand and saying, here, we'll play. And she goes, oh, I've never played one of these, you know, kind of things. So it was really <laughs> exciting to explore. And we were both kind of just feeling our way through it, I think, based on our impressions of all the locations we went to and now jill say whatever the hoops is it is it a shaking type percussion instrument a shaker type percussion instrument or something else in percussion no it's a it's a shaker if you i can i can it's over here if you like i can go grab it and i'll hold it up to the thing yeah. so you can see it if you i wonder like. if we can grab some sound on it you oh, know well i'll i'll see <laughs> jill jill you're so in the parks commissioned to be in the parks and so are, are you you're composing pieces so people can can have a like in a musical accompaniment to it. I've never heard that before. I didn't know the parks did that here in the States. Well, so what the, the national parks do is they have artist in residency programs. OK, not all the parks, just the parks that obviously choose to do it. All right. And each park has their own individual way of handling this. It is not a paid position, although some do give you a little stipend to help pay for expenses. But the, basically, the agreement is the artist will come and create their art. And in, in exchange, you get a, a place to live in the park for an extended amount of time and um, an opportunity, um, you know, to just kind of share your music with the people there. So that's okay. I've done about seven or eight of those. 
Um, and everyone is, every single one is different, but there's an, a whole application process and it's, it's very, it's, it's very competitive and it's un, like everything else. Everybody's finding out about it now and it's getting even more competitive, but, um, okay. it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun to do. Yeah. Uh, cool. So, and you're giving concerts for visitors to the parks as well as composing music to be recorded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just most recently I was in Petrified Forest National Park in Arizona mm. and, uh, just in April. You know, just right before this recording came out and I did two weeks there. And the night before I left, the artist and residence coordinator wanted to video record me playing a piece on the actual place that inspired the music. It was called Tapony Point, you know, looking over mm-hmm. these beautiful red rocks. So I re- I dragged my battery keyboard down this <laughs> ledge <laughs> and he's, uh, he's quite the videographer. He set up three cameras and he did a, a beautiful job. So it was very cool to have a video made of the brand new music that was written by that space in that space. Maybe Deborah, we can do that someday. You know, we I could, would love if to. we coordinate that, that would be awesome. I, so, I think that would be fabulous because with yeah. the percussion instruments and a laptop computer that I could have some, you know, things on mm-hmm. there, the electronics, but then have it all be the acoustic with your, with your beat up keyboard, as you say, the battery one, we could create a lot of stuff and your oboe and English horn echoing down a Canyon. Mm. Oh my God. I can just, I actually can feel and envision that that would be spectacular. Yeah, so but, but there's something about, about it being in the actual place that inspired it. Yes. You know, it's not just some yeah. pretty space. I mean, I do that. I play in pretty spaces, but it's like, wow. Those rocks actually inspired this music. Yes. And I'm, I'm very excited. I hope this guy gets it all put. He's editing and I hope he gets it put together. If he does, I'll make sure you get a, get a link. Oh, <laughs> lovely. Uh, and, and Jason, yes, you really, yeah. hopefully, Jill, if you don't already have her CDs, maybe, Jill, you'd be able to get some of your national parks. Of course. Yeah. Do you, do you have them, Jason, or no? I, I don't, don't. I don't have I them. Need to get well, then that. I have your email. So, you know, um, you know, just send me a, a physical mailing address or I'll, I'll write to you and get it. Yeah. I have it. I, I'll send you his address. I've got it. And I'll, I'll yeah. email you when we're done here and you can send him. He, I, I would love that. I would enjoy the, the images and all the inspiration from those. Oh, here I would is love, the, I would love that, you know, to those parks. What, what parks have you visited? What parks okay, have you been residents at? And, and by the way, just go to jillhaley.com. There's a ton. Dot com. There's my name.com. Yeah. And there's a ton of videos, you know, so you can see. To but, see. Um, Mesa Verde is where I started in Colorado. Okay. okay. Then I went to Badlands in South Dakota. Mm. And then I went oh. to Glacier in Montana, Wrangell St. Elias in Alaska, and wow. um, down in Big Cypress in Florida, and Petrified Forest and Bandelier in New Mexico. I think those are it. They gave yeah. you some diverse landscapes to work off of. And sp- yeah, and I'm going up to Acadia in a couple of weeks in Maine. I'm loving that. I can actually That's- drive there, Deborah. I don't have to fly. <laughs> I love it. That's going to be so cool. Oh, I here's the. It. Can you see this, Jason? I can. It's got. Wow. It actually has a beautiful feather on it, and this was made by the uh, Indians, so um, they made it. But here you can see the. Uh, this is the deer antler. It's very old. It's a bone. It's it's a bone, obviously, the antler. You can see the end of it. And then these are the black deer claws. And then they put a little bit of the, the leather sinew on it. I can try and... Okay. And you mash it. An idea. Yeah. yeah. And, and sometimes we'll do this. Jill did a lot of different things with it in the recording. And then I played it as well. So, I mean, it's just... 
it's got a very unique old world sound to it. And I love working with handmade instruments because the energy of the individual that makes it, they usually will put a blessing into it. All the drums, the Taos drums, the, the shakers and things that I use are all handmade. And so there's, they impart their own quality, I think, into the recording. How do you bring recordings to life? Get rid of the flatness and make them have a depth where you're invoking a dimension of the space and time in the sounds of the instruments. And so the exciting part, of course, for me was taking these instruments and Jill's wonderful playing, combining them together, and then taking the modern auspices of some electronic tones and sounds and blending them together to create the visual uh, in your mind of what it would be. For example, fountains. Everyone that's heard that song says, oh my God, it's just like water falling from the sky or it's just like being in a fountain where the droplets shoot up and, you know, because you sense it and feel it based on the sounds that were made for that purpose. So it's very unique, I think. I, I really feel like Jill and I have created something uh, really unique in terms of how we're creating the music and the sounds and totally inspired by our natural surroundings, wherever we're at. One of the things that I noticed right away, just starting off on track one, which is the title track, and just the, my first listen was the weaving of of the oboe and the English horn with your textures. They, they, they weave together so well. And, and I, when I'm, I listen, when I listen to something the first time, I just got to listen to it. And then if I go back again, I might, you know, try to hear something else. And, you know, one of the things about it is when y'all were recording it, were y'all recording a lot of it together or were you recording things? And then Deborah, you go and you, you add to that because I, I know sometimes working with electronic music, some people will record a, a acoustic instruments per se, and then somebody will, that maybe somebody that's putting some textures on it will, will add to that. Um, how were y'all recording it after, like you had mentioned earlier, where Jill, you had gone in and you were in the studio working out some melodic lines, and then you know Deborah, you had some well, textural things. How did y'all take those two working that way and then bring it together and weave it together into the compositions that end up on, on the that's record? A really, that's a really good question, Jason. Um, yeah. Okay, Deborah, if I... Because eh, um, I actually start with harmony. I don't start with melody. So when okay. I when I sequestered myself in the studio, um, I actually just... What I do after I spend a day outside in a space that's inspiring is I go back and I just improvise on a keyboard. I just what whatever and then i might turn on my phone or something to record it just so i don't forget it and then i have some manuscript paper i actually jot down the, the um chords and then um oftentimes a melody will actually first be developed on the keyboard so it's like a little piano piece actually deborah so then i do these things these ideas in the evening and then I'd play them for her the next day and she'd say yay or nay or this part, not that part, whatever. And then we would take those parts and I believe I recorded them on the keyboard. She took those parts and then did whatever magic she did. And then I believe a lot of it is I came in after she did some of her manipulations 
and did some all the melodic stuff, which was a ton of improvisation. It might have been like on Verdant Sanctuary. I know I hear the definite melody I wrote. I hear that yeah. melody. I hear the chords. But other pieces, I, I know they're just totally improvised and she's she's moved them around. And then I think the next step was after I left and, and flew back to Philadelphia, she took it and did it to the whole next level of, of her electronic wizardry. So it was kind of many steps. There's the, you know, inspiration, there's the initial writing and recording and then her doing her thing. Oh, if I can add to that, yes, Jill would go in and improvise and do her, you know, inspired things. And then we would take those parts and um, just, I just wanted to record her as much as possible on the oboe and English horn. And there were two tracks, uh, Indian Heaven, I think was one of them for sure. And the Stillness of Forest Bathing. Those were yeah. the two that I actually put down some texture beds. And I remember saying, okay, Jill, I'd like to record you doing oboe and English horn parts on these. So we'll try it instead of using a piano based uh, thing. Let's just do this and be totally improvised. And I remember when I played the first Indian heaven tracks, the, the, the thing yeah. I did, you're, you're playing along and we, she just played all the way through. And when it was over, she goes, wow, why didn't we do this? This was so much better. This was easy. All I had to do was just go into my mind and imagine and, and these sounds were out there and I could just play what I wanted to. And it was really funny. It was, it was, it was so fun to do this project. So we did that on a couple of them where it was totally just English horn and oboe recording. But then we went back to all the pieces and I made sure to record. Um, we did have that one moment, Jill, remember where uh, one of the songs I went, we went to play it back and your oboe and English horn parts weren't there. Yeah. Ever. Oh, no, I was having, I had a heart attack. I went, oh, studio, studio fiasco. And well, you <laughs> didn't know what happened to it because they were there when we recorded them and then the audio was gone. So Jill said, well, you know what? I'm just going to, let's just do it right now while I'm here. So we actually re-recorded on one of the songs mm -hmm. and she played totally, and I think it was meant to be because they were just beautiful, beautiful parts. And then after Jill left, I did whatever you call it, my wizardry. I yeah. listened to each song and I looked at all the notes we had put together um, based on what the theme of each song was about. And then together they tell a whole story. One song has its own story, but it's a chapter in the book, so to speak. And then all of them together make the whole complete story. Um, so I would take the each song, for example, the Fountains piece okay. and I'm like, okay, Jill loves the water. She wants water sound. She wants to have, she described to me this water just spewing out of fountains. And it, that was her vision of this water and droplets. So I literally had angst going, okay, I need to make sure that Jill's vision for this piece gets the attention and the meaning that she wanted it to have. So I had to think on that one. And then I thought, well, heck, all I got to do is get some fountains going here. So I had to find some sounds that would be a fountain sound. And it took, took a bit of time. And so I know that process is always the hard part. Okay, how do we take everything we just did and make it into a finished 
product, uh, a finished story with the vision of the artist being captured here. So, and then when I sent her the, the, the finished songs, the mixes, she was like, oh, that was it. Yeah, you captured, that's it. And from Fire Into Water was the other one. She wanted, we went to Mount Tabor. Yeah. She was very inspired by the, by the volcano, which is dormant. As far as we know, it's very dormant now. But there's water there, right? Yes, there. and it has okay. water. Okay. And that's how that song title, Jill came up. She goes, I want something. What if, what if it went from the fire into the water? And so I'm like, oh, this will be interesting. Well, when she said that, I started thinking about volcanoes and how ancient they are and how our planet became formed by these massive, we're talking millions and millions of that's years all ago. There, that's all there was at one point. Yes. Right? The volcanoes, volcanoes and then more volcanoes. Spewing. Yeah. Yes. And so from fire, so I'm thinking, oh, this is very ancient. We need something primitive to express the vision of the primitive ancient volcano. And that hence came out the didge sounds and the ancient chants and those things nice. create and that. that. Mm. And I wanted something to make it fire. And I thought Aboriginal very much because they're of an ancient ancient time and place and peoples. And um, I wanted to honor that. So that was my version of the fire and it included the volcano and the sounds. And then I thought, okay, how the heck are we going to get from that to a gentle water sound of the parts that Jill had played? And I thought we have to have a interesting time signature change here. And uh, my dear friend, Matt Stewart, who mixed this album, I was with him the whole time. He came up here and sat in the studio when we mixed it, but I, he gets the credit because he had to deal with me. Um, <laughs> and, and, I had these different rhythms and I said, Matt, here's what I want. And he's listening and he, he looked at me and he goes, Deborah, you can't do that. Those don't Matt, that That's not going to fit. And I said, Matt, we've done this before. Trust me. I need you to record me playing this thing. And I did it. And he just looked at me and he goes, how do you do that? It, it works. It does fit. So you have a, a completely rhythmic change and time signature change to morph into and fade out of that and then morph gently into almost like a, a, a body of water where the j wave is gently hitting the, the shore type of a movement to get into that gentle side. I like how Deborah, you mentioned. So you're finding fountains sounds without actually recording fountains. You're yeah. finding fountain sounds that are almost like a metaphor for a fountain in a way. Like that's one of the great things about your music and and about electronics is that you can you can 
find the sounds without actually using the sound, if I'm saying it in the right way. Yes, it's a total discovery process. I have to, I will listen to hundreds and hundreds of sounds. And when the right sound comes up that represents that description, mm -hmm. I'll know it. It's, it's a very intuitive process for me, perhaps. I'm not sure. I, I'll just sit in there. And I actually, I really hate going into the studio until I can see It's like a volcano, Jill. It, it builds up and builds up inside me. And all of a sudden it's ready to explode. And then I go, okay, now I can go in there. Now I can give that room the respect it deserves to create the music. It's a very respectful thing. I'm always in awe of the studio and, and afraid of it too, because of all the technology stuff. So I don't want to just go in there and just sit in there and waste time trying to figure something out I wait until it's just bubbling up and then I go <gasps> and then the inspiration comes about what I need and then I'll go in and search for it and then I feel like I'm giving the room the space and respect it, it deserves for what we're able to do in that space so I'll I listen to I don't know how many sounds and some of them were almost the right sound and then I I would take that sound and put it in the song and play something with it and then listen to it with Jill's parts and go, no, it doesn't work. It's not right yet. And yeah. I would spend hours and hours doing that. And when the right sound came, then it just melted into place. It, it really was like taking a piece of chocolate and melting it over some lovely ice cream. It just <laughs> melts into it. And, and it's very tasteful and very, uh, you know, delicious and in terms of its, you know, the flavor of it for that particular piece. And that's really what I ended up doing with each piece. I did have to arrange the pieces pretty much, but um, but that's okay. We had all the elements we needed, mm -hmm. right? And and I took the things that everything Jill did, which was just beautiful. And then if I heard something that didn't make sense to me, I would just move it and go, oh, it needs to go over here. And that's what happened. And that's the end result. You know, Jill... Yeah. Well, Jill, you know, I, you mentioned the elements there, Deborah, and, and Jill, I wanted to ask you about about the the voicing of 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 the English horn and, and the oboe. I, I I love instruments. I, I, woodwinds. I never could get into woodwinds. I came from more like in bands and stuff, brass instruments, and even being in like at university and methods, it was like the double reeds seemed so much harder. And so much more difficult. Like, you know what I mean? Like, the, I, there was just kind of this general thing, like, those are harder reed instruments. They take more. Mm -hmm. People make their own reeds with the bassoon and, and learn in all those years. But where does the um, where does the oboe and the English horn fall voice-wise within the wind ensemble or within the orchestra? Because I kind of wanted to relate that and then kind of go back to Deborah and say, well, you're dealing with these voices now, these specific instrumental voices that you might not have worked with before, but where do they lie? Where do the oboe and the English horn lie voice wise? And I mean, that also presents its own situation about you playing in the arrangements that Deborah constructs because you're putting mm -hmm. this partic specific range and voicing and texture of, mm -hmm. of those unique woodwind instruments. Yeah, I think in a, in a, I also very involved in wind groups over the years. So um, I, I certainly, in fact, last night I was in a band rehearsal. So um, I also come from the band um, background, um, but I also play in a lot of orchestras. So the oboe 
is the instrument that gives the A to tune the whole orchestra when okay. you go to. A, okay. Oh, that's an A. What 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 kind of uh, transposed instrument is the oboe? What is the oboe okay. in? So the oboe's in the key of C. Just it's a C like instrument. The flute, the, flute, the, piano, the tuba, the, and all the rest. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and the um the, piano, the English horn yeah. is a fifth lower. Okay. So you could go down a fifth, um, down to F. It's in the key of F, like the French horn. It's in the same key. Oh, the I French to horn play, and F. Yeah, I would transpose the music to the same key as the French horn. Yeah, okay. sure. Yeah, so okay. that's where it lies, and and really it lies within vocal ranges. In other words, the oboe can go more to the soprano and alto, and then the English horn goes more to the alto to the tenor voice. Yeah, obviously doesn't go super low. There's something called a bass oboe which is kind of honky, but it does go really well. <laughs> you don't hear that too much. Okay. So that's where that's it cool. lies. I do want to just say one quick thing to Deborah. This is an aside. Sure. You mentioned, and you did do to Jason, elements. Elements. Okay, just hang on to that for a potential future theme, okay? I, love it. <laughs> I, love it. Yep. Yep. I just wrote it down in case I forgot. <laughs> so did I. <laughs> oh, see, right now, you are listening to you know, compositions and albums and the works here on the show. So I'm, I love the idea. I'm, I'm happy about that. And well, and, and so, you know, so, okay. So you're bringing these, I like the bell of the English horn too. It has that cool yeah. little egg. Thing yeah. When I, when I do it. school, I've done a lot of school presentations <laughs> over the years. I always tell kids, yeah, somebody stuck a tennis ball in that thing. Yep. And <laughs> and <laughs> like a, like a snake the- eating up something and it's an, <laughs> Well, the Snake Charmer song is the oboe. Yeah, very, right. very Snake Charmer, yeah. I like yeah. that. It ate something, yeah. and it's something stuck. Look at that. Oh, yeah. yeah. A little rat. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I'm sure kids enjoy that imagery on the, on the yeah. instrumentation of it. You had mentioned the the voicing the voicing of the instruments and are there some songs on there uh jill where you're you you were performing the english horn uh and and the oboe yeah yeah a lot i i actually didn't write them down because there was a lot of back and forth and a lot of just i believe um uh, I've been doing a lot of recording in the last 30 years. I believe in throwing a lot on the palette okay. and then it's there. And then I say, pick out what spice you want. You know, when I record on other people's projects. So I gave Deborah hopefully enough yeah. to work with. And then she had some options to choose. Okay. Yeah. Are there, are there, are there in like a, um, in an ensemble, uh, a, a woodwind ensemble setting, the oboe and the English horn, are they usually both in a lot of typical woodwind ensemble settings, like complementing, complementing each other? The oboe is by far used more. The English horn's more of a specialty piece. A mm. lot of times in the orchestra, the English horn, it's, it's more plaintive, more 
kind of sad sounding, you know, it's often used for big minor solos, you know, like the new world symphony or, you know, I don't know how familiar you are with orchestral literature, but yeah, there's some very sure. famous English horn sure. solos. Sure. Um, what are some that you, the Dvorak you mentioned? And uh, the Dvorak, um, there is the William Tell. Birds and then the, the plaintive English horn. Um, there's Roman Carnival by Hector Berlioz. There's just uh, okay. there's uh, pictures at an exhibition by Mazorsky. Big okay. big English. So anyway, there's a lot of lot of big English horn solos. Yeah. Okay, so it's kind of I guess it'd be kind of doubled a lot then. Someone in the orchestra plays oboe and English horn or or whatever. Yeah, like one of my my or... jobs is I am the English horn slash third oboe player in the York Symphony, which is perfect because I love to play awesome. the English horn. So I base a lot of times I end up doubling. There might be a, like in a big Mahler piece, there might be, you know, four oboe parts. So I'll play one of the oboe parts, but then two movements might have English horn. So they're written on the same part. So a person can double. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Do you, do you, um, do, uh, do a lot of the double read players, do they make their own reads? Yeah. A lot of times. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of them okay. do. And I do too. Yeah. That's what I was doing this morning, Deborah. I was down okay. here. <laughs> awesome. What yeah, is one, besides it being a seemingly like a very cool craft and skill and expertise, what, why do a lot of them build the reads? Because I was speaking with somebody recently with a bassoonist and, and they were making reads. And I, I, I was just very interested in that process. Yeah. Well, um, first of all, the bottom line is, is they often sound better than things you would buy that are mass produced. Okay. Um, it comes down to, of course, skill, you know, how you, you learn. I started learning when I was probably in high school. And then also as you develop your skill of scraping the reeds, it also is kind of uh, how you play. So I may play differently. My reed's gonna sound differently if I'm sitting next to somebody pre-COVID who's allowed to play my reed. <laughs> um, <laughs> they'll sound different on my read because of the way my mouth covers the, the cane and stuff. So it's a very kind of specialized thing. And it's, it, it, it's, it's a craft and it's, it can be sometimes very frustrating because you just want to use the time to make music. And instead you're actually having to take care of kind of like when something goes out on your computer, you know, okay, now I gotta, I gotta mess around with this before I can go any further. So it's what, a are they made? Of, what are they made out of? It's um just like cane bamboo cane uh, from France. A lot of it's in France. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's really that's fascinating, and um yeah. the 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 process of that and and the speciality of it. Um, the uh looking at the the we had we had uh, we had uh, we talked about the uh, the piece titled Track Four: The Stillness of Forest Bathing. Um, but before we kind of move into that piece, what are some things that some comments you'd like to make about how that composition uh, came together. Um, that that actually uh, is a special song for me because I I actually was inspired to write it uh, for a, a dear friend of mine who I've known for probably forty years, and she passed away last year, not from COVID, Sorry but uh, she had a terrible disease. But she was Japanese, and when Jill and I were together in the studio, we started talking about things in nature and all of the things that happen in a forest. And Jill, I think you're the one that mentioned it. You said, there's this new thing, this forest bathing. And I said, oh yeah, that's a thing. They, it started in Japan. In Japan. Yeah. It's a yeah. Japanese okay. 
thing that they do and they, Mm -hmm. what it is, it's not taking a bath in the forest. You bathe in the energy of the forest and they, they, there's things probably on YouTube, I would imagine where you can see things where, and I've, I've read some things about it. Uh, I can't remember where I saw it, but there's a, these parks in Japan where people will go and do their forest bathing. It's a very meditative model, but they cleanse themselves of all negative ions and energies by letting the trees absorb anything. And they, they feel refreshed and renewed coming out of that. And when Jill mentioned that, I went, the stillness of forest, we have to do a song called that. And so we did, we wrote, I, said, that's it. That's the song title. And then the more I thought about it, the more I thought uh, during the time of working on the album, my friend was very sick. And I spoke to her in the month of August last year. She passed away in September. I spoke to her about a week before and she was in intensive care. It was very, very terrible moment, but, um, but she went very peacefully. And, uh, I wanted to honor her culture, the Japanese culture. I lived in Japan as a child, so I have these references and stuff, but I wanted to honor my friendship with her in a way. And I asked Jill about that when we were writing our liner notes and things back and forth. And I explained to her what I had and she goes, oh yeah, that's obviously deeply personal to you. So sure. And then she wrote her quotes for the, uh, for that piece, but it was difficult to work on in terms of, if you're going to be in a forest bathing, absorbing the trees and everything, how do you energetically talk to these plants and things and make them feel like the forest is breathing around you and and healing you and comforting you and just whatever it is. And so how could I create sounds that were going to do that? I started with a very simple texture when Jill was there that you recorded. And by the way, when we recorded with Jill's oboe and English horn, she did not just play here. Let's try this idea. Boom. No, she played a track from start to finish every single time on every single song. She'd say, okay, let's do English horn now. And she would play the English horn from start to finish on that entire song, whatever the length was. And we would do two different takes and she would play whatever she, and then the same thing with the oboe. So we weren't just recording parts. She was actually composing intuitively as she was listening to the rest of the music that was there at the time and how she was interpreting it. So this song was particularly difficult, I think, for that because the texture that I had was so light and so airy and it didn't have enough substance to it. She literally needed to create something that would invoke the energy of a force that was alive, which they are. They're full of life and a lot of things you don't see, but you feel them. So she had to create that in those recordings and I loved it. And then after I listened to what she had recorded, I had to go back in and find some other sounds that sounded like a breathing forest. That took an awful long time. Also rhythmically, I needed to be able to match some of the passages that you played, Jill, were so beautiful. I couldn't part with any of them. They needed to all be in that song. (laughs) So I had to rhythmically find something that would not take away from those emotional passages. I didn't know that. 
Oh yeah. It was hard. It, it took a long, that was one of the harder songs for me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, harder than it was the, the, from fire into water was nothing. That was just, it just boom. There it was. But in terms mm-hmm. of what I had to find and do, but this one, it's the subtleties that were difficult. It was very subtle. These intricate little sounds and and there's a lot of layers in this piece believe it or not there are several layers of different sounds that are weaving in and out of each other but they had to rhythmically match what Jill was playing in that time signature that we created we sat on each song and had to make a decision of the tempo pacing the tempo pulse of the song how what would a forest alive sound like it would not be 128 beats a minute, like a typical pop rock tune. It sure. wouldn't. It that's needs a, to that's have a fast forest. That's a fast forest. That's right. We're talking a rock forest. Yeah, yeah it's like rock forest. that yeah. might be more in a desert area where it's more dramatic in terms of the harshness of it in a harsh environment. But we were mm. talking yeah. gentleness with dew dripping off of trees, gentle brooks and things going through but they're all talking to each other. So I had to figure out a way to make all of that happen, but yet respect the parts that were so gorgeous to me that Jill played on that. And, and then the arrangement, of course. So I wanted to leave where she played those parts. There was one or two that I did move because I just couldn't get the rhythm to match what I wanted it to do. And I said, okay, that's gotta be here. And so what everyone will hear if you close your eyes listening to this piece, it's all of a sudden you're you're immersed in a forest with nothing. You're just in the middle of a beautiful forest and all you hear is the sounds of nature around you, talking to you, beckoning you, inviting you to become part of that world for just a little bit of time. And so that's why for my friend, I put may she rest in the quiet because that's what it is. And so uh, very, very, that was a very difficult piece for me to do in terms of not just on the emotional level, but the creative essence of it to match what we were wanting to do for that and to give the respect to that title that I felt it needed to have for sure on a cultural aspect. So yeah, I, well, I, yeah, thank you for that. And I, you know, and, and I, we're going to, I want to talk about the, the, the beautiful book and the, the quotes in there. And, you know, Jill, in your quote, uh, the spirit is cleansed as one passes through. I love this imagery, a canopy of moss covered trees and gentle streams. And it's just beautiful. And that canopy aspect of it is, is something that just really stuck out with me. It just covers over it, covers over it. You know, it's like this beautiful natural tint of like oh that over and I, I it, it makes me think about learning about the the cloud forest and the rainforest you know that's yeah. the, the top part that exists there amongst the clouds and then there's a layer uh-huh. and a layer and a layer and they're all under this big canopy and then there's smaller canopies mm-hmm. underneath yeah. that and it that really just uh, I was reading through the quotes is this because it's just such a beautiful book and and we'll we'll come into that but I just I, thank you for explaining that well and We'll go into the track, and and if you wanted to mention, I noticed your your friend Anita is your friend that you dedicated yeah. it to in here. Anita Towns Underwood, okay. yes. Okay. Well, if uh, we'll take a moment and play a, a bit of the the composition here.
listening to that piece and, and Deborah, you talking about having that light texture first. What are some of your impressions, Jill, of having, a, let's just say some different backgrounds in music and playing in the, the this, this, this vast realm of ambient music where the accompaniment that you behind, have behind you might be something very unique that is different from having the textures behind you of a woodwind ensemble or a wind ensemble or an orchestra. Uh, what were some some unique performing uh, impressions of 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 having, let's just say, for lack of a better word, some ambient accompaniment? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, it was interesting when Deborah approached me because I had never thought about doing this type of music before, and yet I was excited because I thought, cool. "Wow, I I because it's foreign to me in that I don't do this and I don't work with people that do it." Um, so I thought this will be yet another growth, um, a new thing to do. Uh, so um, as far as creating the music, yes, I'm so used to playing with a piano, with a guitar. That's what all my music is based because I'm a pianist. That's where I start. So I'm so used to creating things around those harmonic instruments. And but at the same time, I'm so used to improvising over, geez, almost 40 years now I've been improvising um with other musicians um just and 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 them taking them like for example will ackerman of windham hill you know i've done so many recordings for him and he just takes takes my sounds or or tom or or corn whoever's working with them and they just again they just take them and they they might end up sounding very different not quite as different as what deborah did because they're still acoustic based they're still based around a piano or a guitar so I'm used to things being manipulated. And so that didn't intimidate me or bother me. And I also obviously implicitly trusted Deborah's judgment as that. But it was astonishing how different. I did go back, Deborah, and I listened to the original recordings I did on the keyboard and go, how did she get from there to there? <laughs> <laughs> Magic. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. the, the textures, uh, I'm sure it can have more of a, esoteric quality than the textures of the mm-hmm. piano and the guitar obviously i mean some of these mm-hmm. sounds that are generated nowadays are are just powerfully powerfully unique <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah 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 that's that's interesting okay so you're foray into the world of ambient there that's exciting yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that's 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 really cool so you're lit when you got the some of the mixes back you're hearing the weaving of your instrument and uh, your instruments in in a, a amidst uh, what Deborah has created around it. That's, I mean, I love hearing it within listening to the the oboe and the English horn within the sounds. It's so it's such a unique sound. It, it <sighs> really is. I've just yeah, so I much think, en- I think we're it. lucky to have have discovered each other and and found an opportunity to do this because I do agree I, I haven't heard anything like this. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's a million people out there recording stuff, and there might be something similar to this, but I certainly haven't heard anything like it. Mm-hmm. Certainly, at least with the oboe and English horn. So it's very cool to be able to do that. But yeah, it was it was it, I had to take a step back and truly trust her because it was like saying, "Here's I'm not used to saying here's my." my creation and I'm going to let you do what you want to do to it. I'm used to saying, this is my creation. And I'm used to telling the engineer, okay, I want this doing this. And I want this, you know, kind of reverb. And I want this and I want this, you know, balancing. And I, I did, I said, here, I'm letting go of the reins. Here you go, Deborah, take it away. Cause I knew that was her forte. That was what she could, 
could add. Yeah. It speaks to the, um, the beautiful evolution of this music, you know, and as a whole. And, 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 and I, I, I'm, I'm so inspired by that personally. And I'm so it's so refreshing to see that because not only is the music involving so much mixture of 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 sampled materials, electronic textures, acoustic instruments that go back so long. And in, even in the realm of people that are working with a palette of all electronic instruments, their sounds and their rhythms are broader than ever. And, and Deborah, you made just a real key statement about it, bringing something in from a, the real world when that medicine gave you that instrument from the real world into another world of the electronics. And I mean, that, that right there is, is showing how this music is, is growing and, and moving forward and just flourishing and evolving. Yes. I think it's, I think it is so important to remember where we come from in terms of creation of sound. Uh, And we're talking you know, millennia ago, uh, how music became a very important cultural aspect in early civilizations. And they were, it was used to celebrate events or the first music, uh, I read somewhere, uh, one of the first music things that they have evidence of was at a burial with a very ancient reed type instrument. So that's always fascinated me, where we come from, how we evolve and what we do, what are we doing with the energies from the ancestors who came before us? You know, And that question always revolves around my thinking for some reason. Um, I love archeology span and discovery and new things. This was, to me, was just like an archeological dig. We were discovering new territory and new things by combining it. And I, I just love that. And, and I wanna honor the people that make these instruments. They're, they're giving a part of themselves away when they hand that instrument to someone else. And they're, they're trusting them with that graceful gift, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to honor it, you want to do what you can to capture that spirit or that essence or that energy. And it's honoring when you hear it come back in the recording. And I think that that's just such an important aspect of what we're doing. Um, this is certainly new territory for me with recording the English horn and oboe. And Jill, I I don't know. How do you feel about a tuba? <laughs> Maybe we'll I did, record it. I, I did think about bringing my flute out in August. Deborah and I are going to work mm. on another project this uh, this summer. So oh, I nice. thought I might have the old flute in the in the suitcase there. So oh, that mm. might be great. That would be good. We have yeah. a different different tone. Yeah, yeah. yeah we'll try. Tone. We'll record it all, and we'll see what it'll it'll yeah. manifest. I think it is going to manifest exactly like our first one did. We're going to mm-hmm. sparks start flying. I think that's one of the reasons I love working with other artists, especially with Jill, because we have such similar interest in some background things that we've done in the past with, you know, choir directing, things like that. And, and just a love of nature and, and, and the, the real world, I will say again, of past, yeah. present, and then what's to come, we don't know. But but how do you capture all of those things and get it into a recording that brings it to life? How would you make a mountain breathe, for example? 
How do you capture a breathing mountain? And it Mm. can be done because then the person listening to that recording goes, oh my God, that mountain's alive in that piece. Oh, I can hear it. You know, that's what's most important to me, I think, in capturing those sounds. It's not because I'm wanting to do something particular. It's what is the listener going to get out of it? If somebody has a wonderful experience or a healing experience or a meditative experience, or if in some way that composition gives them a hopeful peace in their life of all of a sudden their day is not quite so bad because they've heard a piece of music that just inspires them all of a sudden to continue and to do more. That is so important for me. And uh, it's a gift. I feel very blessed that Jill and I got to meet each other and are able to work together. For me, that's a, a blessing. I'm very, I have much gratitude for those things that just come into your life whenever they're meant to be there. And that's what happens. And I think that lends itself to the recordings itself because of you have all that together and you're all inspired. We inspire each other. I'll say something, Jill will get inspired and do something with it or Jill will play something and I'll be all inspired. And it it builds on top of itself. It layers. And that's what this is about. I think it's great. I love it. And so, and and it's a a relationship inspiring too. you know, the relate, like you said, you bounce things off each other. So the relationship itself lends inspiration to, to the other person, you Mm -hmm. know, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. I'm gonna be a baby, 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 I
It's so interesting now to think about The Silence of Grace, which was recorded in 2019 and came out in 2021 and what we went through mm. in that in that year and a half or whatever in between. And the word grace took on even even a different meaning for me after the last year and a half of, of what we've all been going through. Um, so it's just obviously a gift. Grace is a gift. And the silence of grace, I think for me, is grace isn't isn't noisy. You know, there, there's love is not boastful, all that stuff that's in one of those books in the Bible. I'm not too good on the Bible stuff. <laughs> For being a choir director, I'm pretty bad at that stuff. But there's something about love is not boastful. You're quiet and, and it's and it's a gift. And I think um, I felt like this recording was kind of a gift for our potential audience that was created before we even knew what that audience was going to be dealing with mm -hmm. in 2021. Mm -hmm. I, obviously, we had no mm -hmm. idea what was coming. Yeah. And so I think it's so cool. Like Deborah says, it just happens. It's, it's, it's a gift. So that's where I think I am at with today with the silence of grace. Yes, I, I, I agree completely with what Jill says. We don't know what the big universe has in store for us. Things happen when they happen. It's on a different level than we are in our space and time here in this continuum. But there's a dignity. It's a quiet dignity, you know, it, that comes with it. The silence of grace, when you say that, it just kind of the silence of grace, as she said, it's not boastful. It's, there's an integrity and a dignity that comes with it. And if you just think about those words, your soul becomes still just thinking about it. It, it just becomes a quiet. I mean, even, even when I say it now, it invokes this, just this stillness around me and allows whatever's going to be there is going to be there. It's not boastful. It's patience. It's kindness. It's all of those things. That was the saying, love is patient. Love is kind. Yeah. Love does not put on airs. Mm -hmm. And this does not put on airs. This is not boastful. This is just making a simple, pure statement. I like the pureness of it. It's just got this this pure energy in it that I think is a very special. And to me, it's, it's a very sacred uh, space to be in. And I think that all of those songs kind of invoke that type of a, uh, just a gracefulness in the grace, you know, gracefulness that, within the grace. Yes. I, and I, and I like the aspect of, of the grace is something that is so that is offered and is given. And then you're taking this music and you're offering it and you're giving, it's a power thing to offer grace and to give grace to people. You know, it's like, whether it's someone that we don't care for as much or our dearest loved ones, and you're offering this music, you're giving this music out. And it, it just, uh, yeah, very well said. Thank you for your, um, for your, um, insight into the, into the title. And, um, it's also a dedicated song too, as well. I noticed in the, in yes. the liner notes here. Yes, well. that one, that one I dedicated to my father. Okay, he passed away in 2014, and uh, it just seemed very appropriate for him mm. to have that. Uh, and I'm, I don't have my liner notes in front of me, but what I wrote there was very appropriate for him. I think in that for that song. Yeah, I um, 
Yeah, I can. Uh, I can read it. I have the liners if you if you want oh. me to read through. If that's okay. Oh, is that lovely. okay? Absolutely. May I, may I quote? Um, yeah. uh, be still, just for a moment. Do not want too loudly. Instead, chase the mist quietly and gently. Yes. That speaks to the energy of grace and the silence of it. And then what Jill wrote so perfectly fits that. Yeah. Grace is a gift bestowed on us, unasked for and gratefully received. Yeah. Yeah. Very beautiful. I, um, I want to thank both of you for being here. I would love to have you back on the show. It's so great to just be able to have a conversation and to share this music. And uh, I'm, I'm so grateful for that. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank it's you. An honor. <laughs> it's an honor to be able to, to share, even as we're doing it, and discuss our music, our thoughts, ideas. The creative process is such a wonderful thing, I think. It's just a, it is a gift in itself. And mm-hmm. it is graceful in its own way. <laughs> so I'm, I'm so appreciative. And Jason, it's so wonderful talking with you. And uh, yeah. Jill, it's good to see you. I know I'll be yeah. seeing you in August, but we're, we're getting excited about that. Do we yeah. want to, do we want to share with him the name of our next album? Please, I have no problem with that at all. Oh, okay. this is this is uh, some exclusive. We already have we already have song. Jill came up with a beautiful song title. I'm not going to reveal it yet, but we were talking, and I was thinking about this first album, how we want something to lend itself to flow gently into the next project. Okay. So the title of our next one is into the quiet. Mm. And that's from the silence of grace. Grace. And if you were, if when we're done, we'll have a whole sentence. It'll be from the silence of grace into the quiet. And then our next, you see, so it'll be, it it, it does have a, a very much a thematic, uh, resonance to it that is going to, I feel it's going to sustain for this music will be around long after we're not here on this planet. People are going to be listening to it going, who were those masked artists? We want to know more about them. Who were they? And what did they do? You know, and that's what I look at. I think about all those things. They run through my brain, oddly, you know, <laughs> whatever it is, but that's what I, I feel this music will be around centuries from now people will still be able to resonate with the energies of what we're creating now now the, more so than ever the I digital think. files the, the the multiple places it lives in you know may it live on for centuries right Absolutely. i think you so. know and um again thank y'all for doing this oh, so great you. and i can't wait to have y'all back too for the next album too so oh, it's that'll be wonderful and I'll mail you a bunch of CDs. Oh, yeah. awesome. Ooh, I love parks. Oh, I look forward to yeah. that. I look for, I love getting the music and the mail. It's just, it's yeah. been so great during, especially during the pandemic as the music arrives. Yeah. Uh, my more appreciation for, for the album format has grown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're so happy that you're sharing this with folks that like to listen to your program um, it's it's really good. It's exciting that more people get to hear what we're doing, and uh, that's I think that's just so neat, so special. Thank you. It's so great to meet you, Jill and Deborah. Always a pleasure. Yes. All right. Take care, Jason, and you. take care, Deborah. All right. Take- we'll see you soon.
And thanks again to my guests, Deborah Martin and Jill Haley. The album is called The Silence of Grace, and you can find out more information at spottedpeckery.com. We heard several selections from the album, the title track, The Silence of Grace, also The Stillness of Forest Bathing, Fountains, and From Fire into Water. Going to close the podcast this episode with the track Verdant Sanctuary. You can find Tones and Drones on all the major podcast platforms and also on the NPR One app. The podcast is produced in the studios of 91.3 KVLU. Website is kvlu.org for more information about the station. I'm Jason Miller, host. Until our next episode, may music bring you peace and joy.